You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, I got to be honest, man. I am just spinning my tires right now. I'm at a complete loss. Um, The draft is so quickly approaching, um, and um, the synapses are just firing with... (laughs) You need to do this. You got to do this. You haven't even done this. We got to get, I can't get everything done. And so I'm trying to just let it go and be cool with it. We're good with it, but I'm, I am excited. Um, I am working extra, extra hard to get, um, a lot of stuff done. Um, I'll be honest. I have not done. I don't know if I've done one full mock draft like ever, um, I'm sure I have. I mean, I think I've done some real quick, just clicking through type mock drafts, but actually sitting down and thinking through and looking at each team and looking at their needs and who they brought in in free agency and all the different contracts and who's up for a contract next year and, um, you know, scheme fit and all that stuff. I have not done one until now. Um, I put in many, many hours yesterday, not done yet. I will be finishing that today. And because I can't stop doing new things, here's how this is going to work. Very excited about this. But one of the issues I've had is I want to provide some kind of con- extra content, and, and that includes written content to my patrons. But Patreon, no offense to Patreon, and they have made promises that they're going to improve this, kind of sucks. <laughs> I don't like it. I mean, I like the part where people give me money. That's awesome. But as far as my ability to give content back, it's really difficult. So. This will be done on my Substack, which I've had for quite a while. I just never really used it. And all I'm going to do is take the emails off of Patreon and add them to my paid Substack, and you will instantly have access. So I think everybody on the, it's going to take me forever, but (laughs) everybody on the $5 tier or higher, I'm just going to add you guys over. But I am very excited. I got a ton of stuff I'm going to be working on, projects and this and that and the other. And, um, you know, I started the podcast because when I tried to write, my um, thoughts on everything were way too vast and all the typing just kind of got in the way. And so I was like, I should just talk because I will talk forever and I don't have to worry about writing five, well, actually 5,000 words isn't very much, 5,000 pages of stuff. I can just talk for an hour and then be done. But I'm getting to the point now where some of the stuff that I'm doing, um, although I can elaborate on it for a very long time, some of it would just be better if you could see it. You know what I mean? And so I'm going to be working on, kind of working on that in reverse. So we will see the um, mock draft may end up being copy and pasted on Twitter, depending on how long it takes for me to import all of those emails over to the Substack. I don't know if there is a mass import or export from Patreon, but that will be the plan. 
Also, just saying, some of the people have told me for a very long time they have an aversion to Patreon. They just don't like it. You will be able to just join the Substack if you choose. I can't make you any promises in terms of how regularly I'll be putting stuff on there because you know how I am. But I'm just telling you this is something I want to do, and so I'm doing it. And it'll be a thing that I do until it's a thing that I don't do. That's the best promise I can make you. But again, for the patrons, it makes no difference. You're already on Patreon. This is just an extra thing you get. Speaking of excited, by the way, um, due to several factors, we had kind of an overlapping thing happen yesterday with um, Wisconsin Sports Heroics podcast, as well as um, the It's Always Draft podcast kind of coming out at the exact same time. And I was thinking about, should I push one back a day? Should I stagger them a couple hours? I'm like, no, I'm just dropping them at the same time. So unless you binge listen to an episode or two yesterday. You've got three Packernet podcast episodes to listen to this morning. I'm super excited to listen to the two that I haven't even listened to yet, because uh, if I may toot my own horn here, I'm very, very excited about the team that we've got over here. The biggest concern I had is I wanted to grow what I have, but if the quality dips, it all kind of falls apart. And personally, I don't think it has. I've been trying to find football content. I have been binge listening to football content, and I really just don't like a lot of it. And I've gotten to the point that the shows that I have are, depending on what other show we're talking about, on par or better than the other shows that I listen to. And I know a lot of the guys that we brought over are not big blue checkmark people, but my goal was to prioritize quality over find people with big followings and, um, you know, let them just talk about their random opinions. Now, granted, it would have been nice if, if there was both, but those people told me no. So <laughs> I had to choose one or the other, and I chose quality, and I'm super excited about it. But we've got uh, a draft episode for you. Well, we've got a bunch of draft episodes for you. Obviously, everybody's talking about the draft, but lots and lots of really great content um, as we push forward through these last few days until the draft comes. And then obviously, we'll have a bunch of post-draft content. But why don't we start off with the one thing that is only sort of draft news, and that is the rumor that was brought up by Aaron Nagler, which I just listened to an interview where they kept calling him Nagler, and so now it's like, have I been saying his name? I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm not going down that road. I don't care. He can correct me personally if I'm saying it wrong. Otherwise, I don't care. But there was a, I hate to call it a rumor, there was a report in an article titled, Packers Targeting Raiders Tight End Darren Waller. Let me just read what it says so we don't get into the weeds of speculation. Because one of the weird things that happens is somebody says a thing. And usually it's not a fully detailed article like this is, which we will read. But either way, there's a report. And then what happens is other outlets start reporting it. And a couple weird things happen. Number one is the whole telephone game thing. And it's funny because I have people send me articles that are like seven steps away from the original um, report. And I'll read it after having read the original report, which is usually just like one sentence in a tweet. And there's a full-length article given all these details that nobody ever gave. And usually my response is something to the effect of, yeah, that's not what anybody said ever. (laughs) That's not. There's so much made-up filler in here, it's ridiculous. The second thing that happens is as more and more of these articles start to report it, it starts to feel more and more real. When in reality... It's not any more real because nobody else is reporting it. They're just telling you what you already know. Now, maybe that's just a phenomenon that happens to me, but when I see what uh, Nagler wrote on Cheesehead TV, and then I see NBC Sports tweets out, 
Packers are targeting Darren Waller. And then I see Fox Sports tweeting out Packers targeting Darren Waller. And then I see ESPN and PFF tweet out the Packers are targeting Darren Waller. It's like, this is really happening. Oh, dude, it's really happening. It's like, calm down. They're just saying it for the same reason that you think that it might be happening originally. It's not additional confirmation. The only thing that happened is Aaron said he heard a thing. All the other tweets are just repeating what you've already heard. They don't have any more information. They have this one bit of information. And it gets that one gets real bad when you don't know where that original report, report actually came from, so it does actually feel like a lot of different reports. And it's not. It's just the one. So let's stay focused on that one report and everything we know so far, which is entirely wrapped up in this one article. The speculation surrounding the Green Bay Packers acquiring another pass catcher via trade, at least publicly, has most centered around veteran wide receivers such as DK Metcalf or Debo Samuel. According to a pair of league sources, so that's the first thing, two different people apparently have uh, given this information, the Packers are targeting a veteran tight end, specifically Las Vegas Raiders tight end Darren Waller. The Packers and Raiders have engaged in talks regarding the trade of Waller with an eye towards a deal getting done during this week's NFL draft. So here is usually how I kind of parse this out. Because not only do other people add speculation to reports when they don't actually know things, sometimes the person reporting it, in this case it would be Aaron Egler, um, add information that they don't know. And so I'm trying to figure out if that's what's happening. So when I'm reading that last paragraph, According to a pair of league sources, so two people that I talked to, the Packers are targeting a veteran tight end. And then he goes on to say specifically the Las Vegas Raiders tight end, Darren Waller. So my question was, do we know that they're looking for a tight end and they also added in Waller's one of them? But then when he says the Packers and Raiders have engaged in talks regarding a trade of Waller with an eye toward a deal getting done during this week's NFL draft... That kind of just crushed everything because I'm like, well, that is extremely specific. <laughs> that's, that's not like, I don't know, I kind of heard a thing, some whispers over here that maybe this is kind of a thing. It may be kind of sort of little. No, that's that's very like, oh, it's it's they're talking directly about Waller and they're trying to get something done during the draft. That's extremely specific. Then he goes on to say, Waller is also apparently the player the Packers are trying to pry away from the Raiders during the negotiations around the trade of Devontae Adams. That was something that was reported about a while ago that um, the Packers and the Raiders tried to trade um, a first round pick and a player, but the NFL CBA or the NFL interjected because of the CBA, which says you cannot trade a franchise player for a player. It says, a move that was nixed when both sides were reminded that league rules prohibit players being a part of a compensation for a trade of a player on an unsigned franchise tag. Well, that part doesn't make sense, because obviously he had to have signed it. But just to give some backs, uh, some insight on that, that originally came from Jeff Howe. This is an article that was about The Athletic. It was a very good article that they wrote, kind of about the behind-the-scenes stuff that was going on with Devontae or whatever, but just as a reminder... Jeff Howe of The Athletic is the one that reported this originally. Um, Here's the paragraph he wrote. Indirectly, Adams had previously relayed the message to the Packers that he wanted. Uh, wrong one. (laughs) The deal then nearly hit a snag when the Packers asked for a player in return. Initially, the Raiders offered their 2022 first-round pick and a 2023 second-rounder. Shortly thereafter, the Packers asked for a first-rounder and an undisclosed player. 
It doesn't sound like the Raiders were going to accept that package, but the sides also realized such a deal actually wasn't permissible as league rules don't allow a player to be involved in a trade for another player on the franchise tag, is what this says, which makes much more sense. Finally, a few days after ironing out the contract with Adams, the Raiders agreed to send the pair of picks, which, as we know, was a first and a second. So, just a little detail um, for me personally moving forward. I don't know if this is actually a rule. This is via Jeff Howe, and um, now Aaron Nagler is kind of adding onto that, confirming that it was Waller, which makes sense. That's what kind of a lot of people were assuming when you factor in, must have been somebody worth around a second-round pick. Waller is one of their better players, and so he would kind of slot into that. But again, Waller is also apparently the player the Packers are trying to pry away from the Raiders during negotiations around the trade of Devontae Adams, a move that was nixed when both sides were reminded, blah, blah, blah. So I don't personally know that that rule exists, but Jeff Howe said it does, and now Aaron Nagler is saying that according to his sources, I believe this is what he's saying, not only are they trying to trade for Waller, but this is the guy they tried to trade for but couldn't because of the CBA rules. So if the CBA rule doesn't exist, again, we'll get into why this is relevant in a minute. If that rule doesn't exist, Jeff Howe is wrong. These sources are wrong. Maybe even the Packers and Raiders are wrong. Because according to this entire conversation he had with two league sources, this is the guy they weren't allowed to trade for. So everybody else in the world is confused. But I don't know. Again, maybe this rule doesn't exist. I'm just saying a lot of things don't make sense if that's the reality. Waller will turn 30 in September and still has two years remaining on this deal, one which featured no more guaranteed money remaining on it, which means it's, as far as how much we'd be into it, a one-year deal. We could easily carry him for the second year, but we could also cut him if he's just complete and utter garbage, which would suck, but that's the reality. No word yet on what kind of compensation is being discussed or offered by the Packers. Last season, Waller missed five games due to a combination of a knee injury, a back injury, time on the COVID list. In an eleven in the 11 games he appeared in, he caught 55 balls for 665 yards and two touchdowns while averaging 12.1 yards per reception. Waller was selected as wide receiver in the sixth round of the 2015 NFL Draft by the Baltimore Ravens. After his rookie season, the Ravens converted him to tight end. Uh, the Raiders signed Waller off the Raiders practice squad in 2018. He made the Pro Bowl in 2020 with 107 catches for 1,196 yards and nine touchdowns. All right, so there's kind of a lot of stuff here. First of all, obviously, the biggest issue is this is some kind of league source stuff. Now, right off the bat, and again, this will come into play later, but um, some people might be thinking that Aaron Nagler is not a trustworthy source because he's not a guy that breaks news. I agree with the second part of that. He's not a guy that breaks news. He's not an inside sources guy. But that's kind of the reason why I tend to believe, at the very least, I know he's telling the truth. Whether or not what he's hearing is true, I don't know. But he's not a guy that comes out with fake reports or real reports or anything else, right? That's not his gig. But he is a guy that has a lot of connections. He does. We know this. We see it on Twitter. He talks to this guy and that guy, and he's hanging out with this guy at the combine. And so he, he clearly knows people. And this is an instance where some of the people he knows have heard a thing and told him a thing. So that does not mean anything is about to materialize. But let me just put it out there. The idea that Aaron Nagler is deciding to be a fake breaking news guy makes no sense. He's got plenty of clout. He's got all the followers. He's got Cheesehead TV and everything that comes with that. He's got his blue check mark. Adding um, fake news reporter doesn't really do much to help his credibility. And again, I say that to say I'm trying to parse through what exactly I believe about this report. I believe somebody told him exactly what he's saying. 
who it is, how credible they are, and how realistic it is that this actually gets done, I don't know. Um, before we kind of get into the counter arguments, let's take a look at Waller. They kind of talked about what he did in 2018 when he made the Pro Bowl. Um, I will say the fact that he went all the way back to 2018 makes it seem less impressive. And don't get me wrong, I'm always skeptical of the Packers bringing in tight ends. Our history with tight ends is so absolutely abysmal. Um, I just don't trust anything ever. However, as we heard, he played for Baltimore as a wide receiver, right? Was not very good, didn't really play very much, got sent over to Las Vegas. The guy played very limited amount of snaps. Um, he had six targets, six receptions, 75 yards, but he did have a 70 overall grade. That was after he was converted to tight end. So he didn't play very much, but I mean, it still looked pretty good. 2019 is basically the first time. Um, did he say 2018 in the article? Oh, they signed him. They signed him to 20. Okay, never mind. 2019 is the first time he gets sort of a full time role as a tight end in the NFL. By the way, 6'6", 255 runs a 4.46. As a tight end, they just don't build him like this. The fact that he was ever a wide receiver is weird to me. I, just, I don't get that. I mean, I, I guess it's fine, but I, I don't know. I don't understand it. But anyways, 2019, again, basically his first year, 115 targets, 90 receptions, 1,146 yards and three touchdowns. 2020, 140 targets, 107 receptions, 1,196 yards, and nine touchdowns. In those two years, he had an 83.2 overall grade and an 86.5 overall grade. His receiving grades, 86.8 and 90.9. This guy was very elite. Then in 2021, he did end up getting several injuries, which of course is a problem. He still having played only 11 games, had 102 targets, 62 receptions, 74, 741 yards, and two touchdowns. If you extrapolate that out over an entire season, he would have 1,145 yards, which is almost exactly what he had in 2019, 1,146, followed that up by 1,196. That is to say, although he was injured, essentially, on a game-to-game, yards-per-game basis, he had three 1,000-yard seasons. Three of them. And by the way, I mean, if you look at it, not only was he injured, but he had a 70 overall grade, 69.7, which is a big drop off from 83 and 86. couple things on that, though. Number one, the Raiders were in complete turmoil. It was a rough season for the Raiders in general. Number two, obviously the injuries are a factor, but the, the odd thing that would be number three is it almost kind of makes the first two points not super relevant. He got off to a slow start. His first five games were the worst ones. 63, 61, 68, 56, and 43 were his grades. And by the way, in that span, he had 105 yards and a touchdown against Baltimore in week one. Still didn't grade out very well, but who cares? If, if, if we ever have a tight end with 105 yards and a touchdown with a 63 overall grade, I've never seen a better 63 overall grade in my life. I couldn't give two craps. His other games, 65 yards, 54 yards, 50 yards and a touchdown, and 45 yards. I'm sorry, but as far as Green Bay Packers go, those are good days. <laughs> I mean, we're comparing that to guys getting like one reception for 15 yards. So yeah, I'm good with that. Those were his bad games, slow start. Um, after that, we've got uh, 80, 71, 70, 82.8, 79, one game of 49 overall, and then 72. 
So since week six, in the midst of all his injuries and everything else, he got right back on track. That included five receptions, 59 yards, 11 targets, seven receptions, 92 yards, four receptions for 24 yards, but again, still graded out well, seven receptions for 116 yards, two receptions for 33 yards, two receptions for 22 yards. That was his one bad game. And then in the playoffs, 12 targets, seven receptions, and 76 yards. This guy's basically been the number one target for the Raiders for a long time. And he's kind of killed it in that role. The Raiders with John Gruden were such a fun team to watch because John Gruden, although he's not one of the Shanahan's, he's kind of that way. He's got that 90s football mentality or even 80s, I guess, but just sort of that we, we like big, strong, physical football. John Gruden loved to line up a bunch of guys. And I, I remember the few Raiders games I watched, it was so funny because he would play a team like the Chiefs. And you look at like this old school throwback team, and it kind of goes back to what I said a couple days ago or whatever, when I made the point that old school football isn't necessarily inferior. It's just not the way football is played today. And you can see at the high school level and at the college level, you've got, you know, new age football that's not even in the NFL compared to NFL style offenses compared to old school offenses. And you especially see that in high school. And it's not as though the newer the offense or the closer to pro style, the better, and then everything else is just worse because then everybody would just be running either pro style or super hyper, ultra modern, whatever. The fact of the matter is the, the Raiders played throwback football and they regularly beat the Chiefs. And it was so much fun to see because the Chiefs are just this sort of air it out style, speed kind of team. They're not exactly the Cardinals, but kind of. And then you've got just this old school team. And I swear the Raiders were the most simplistic team in the world, but it was built on similar principles to what the Shanahan offense is, which is we're going to line up and make it look like we're doing, you know, essentially the same thing every time, but you don't know which thing we're doing. And for the Raiders, it was, it was like two things. One is we're going to run the ball with one of the best running backs in football, or we're going to pretend we're running the ball with one of the best running backs in football, and Darren Waller is, rather than blocking, going to run out with his six foot six, 255 frame and four four six speed, and he's going to run past your stupid linebacker, and he's going to get wide open. So it's just this constant, I mean, it's just like rock, paper, scissors, and people are just guessing wrong all the time. It's rock, paper, scissors, but you can't win. All you can do is try to get the one thing that's going to guess it right. All right, so if I throw rock and you throw rock, I win. If I throw rock and you throw scissors, I win. If you throw paper, you got me, right? But otherwise, I win. And he just regularly won. And you're, it's just the most frustrating thing to watch. And I love it, especially since they're so big and physical. I mean, it was, it's very, again, very similar style of offense to what Matt LaFleur wants. Give me big, give me physical, give me strong. Big, physical, mean offensive lineman. Big, physical, mean running back. Big, physical, mean tight end. And we're going to line up and we're going to scare the living daylights out of all these small, fast, speedy, you know, defensive backs and linebackers and everything else. We're going to have to line up against guys that they can't mess with. And they're just going to get wrecked. And we're going to run the ball down their throat. And they're going to get so scared, they're going to have to load up their box. And then we're just going to throw it behind them. Which, as Mr. Numberman pointed out to me, is the ultimate goal because throwing the ball is how you win football games. But still... Ultimately, the, the, the main concept behind this entire structure is we're going to line up and you have no idea what we're doing. And because of that mass confusion, we're not only going to run the ball successfully, we're going to throw the ball successfully, and you're just going to be spinning and spinning and spinning. But that's what they did over there. And I loved watching it. It was so much fun to watch because they would just run it and run it and run it. And then they'd line up like they're going to run the ball because they're just, I mean, they're basically lining up in what looks like goal line. And then they throw it to the tight end with everybody up at the line of scrimmage because they're scared to death of this massive offensive line and this elite running back. And then Waller just goes running down the field like, hey, wide open, here we go. <laughs> that was easy. What do you do to stop it? I don't know. 
but the Packers would would kill for something like that. And again, I've been talking about how the Packer how Packer fans completely underestimate how important a a tight end would be. And I don't really understand it. We need 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 a wide receiver tight end and who cares. I'm sorry, but throwing the ball successfully is what we really want. We want really good wide receivers. There are a lot of teams in the NFL whose main success comes from the fact that they have elite tight ends. The Chiefs, the 49ers, the Raiders, the Ravens. Their entire passing structure is built around tight ends. I mean, you had Tyreek over in Kansas City, but let's not act like Travis Kelsey wasn't the main driving force for a very, very long time. Dude was a stud. 49ers eventually added guys like Debo, but it was always... Kel, uh, never mind. I'm not looking it up. I don't care. You know who I'm talking about. And so now, especially as I've been saying, especially now that we are one of those teams that doesn't have a Devonte, now we especially need to be looking at what about a tight end? Can we be that team that has this dominant offensive line and these elite running backs and then leans on tight end? And that doesn't mean we don't go out and get wide receivers. I'm talking about add a guy like Darren Waller and then add wide receivers. But the point is, we don't need to be so heavy on like that one guy. We got that one elite guy and that's it. No, dude, we've got the, these, you know, this good or good couple rookies that we, we like and we believe in and they're still growing and they're still developing. But then we also have Lazard, who plays a role. We also have Amari, who's taken a step. We also have Randall, who plays a role. And we have Darren Waller, who is like our main X factor here. On top of these running backs that we just completely forget about when we talk about our offense, who are not only good running backs, but are actually a major part of our offensive receiving game. And a lot of the NFL commentators, you know, they mock that. Like, you know, the best receiver left on this team is a running back. Ugh. Well, it's not because everyone is necessarily so bad. It's because our running backs are such good receivers, which is a good problem to have. And again, it's not to say that we don't draft wide receivers, but one of the biggest issues with this whole let's fix it through the draft process has always been you can't expect a ton from rookies. And yes, there has been some success with um, rookie wide receivers, but that doesn't mean everybody drafted is great. And if you draft one guy early, that is to say in the first and second rounds, we come away with one. I'd say the odds are still probably less than 50% that he, number one, is a good receiver, and number two, is really good as a rookie. Because if we get a wide receiver, he's going to be, at best, what, the third wide receiver taken? And so if you get one dominant receiver in this class, you think we're going to be the one to get that one? Maybe, but if our entire game plan is based on that, that kind of sucks. But and, and, and the other thing, well, then go get a veteran. Yeah, but all the veteran wide receivers kind of suck, right? We did go get a veteran, and everybody complained about it. Why? Well, because he's not, he hasn't done anything in forever. I mean, he's got potential and everything, but we haven't seen that potential since, I don't know, four or five years ago. Darren Waller is the best option I've heard of in a very long time. Yes, he is 29.6 years old, and yes, he's coming off injury, and yes, that sucks. And yes, it's possible that we get another Jimmy Graham, and we get another um, Martellus Bennett, and we get another just guy that comes over here, and it just doesn't work out. Jared Cook. But you compare this to maybe the best um, options that we've had or heard of so far, this is up there with with the best as far as as the fit, as far as the need, as far as the instant impact. I, I just absolutely love it. Here's the other final note, though, before we take a break. Counterpoints. Is this actually going to happen? I'm leaning toward probably not. And again, that's not a knock on Aaron Nagler. He's just saying, hey, somebody told me this. Okay, I, that's, thank you for telling me. Part of the issue with the whole reporting thing, though, is everything is anonymous, and so I don't have the ability to look at it and say, oh, that's a legit report, and oh, that's kind of just not super important. That's a very low-level person that I don't trust. I don't know who he's talking about, and he's not going to tell us. First counterpoint is this. 
Derek Carr saw the report via Aaron Nagler. It says, the Packers and Raiders have engaged in trade talks regarding Darren Waller via Aaron Nagler. This is a PFF thing. Somebody tweeted out, Derek Carr added him, at Derek Carr, don't let it happen. Derek Carr retweeted that, said, LOL, no chance. In other words, according to Derek Carr, this is stupid. This is not a thing, never became a thing. And, and here's the thing. He knows that anything is possible. So before he tweets out, LOL, no chance, 95% certainty he called somebody. He called the head coach. He called the GM. I'm sure he has everybody's phone. He called the freaking owner. And he said, I'm seeing all over Twitter that we're trading Darren Waller. What's going on? And it's, it, here's the thing. It, it's, it's really just a matter of, are they lying to Derek Carr? And they're like, ah, don't worry about it, man. That ain't going to happen. And, but they are actually working on it. Here's the thing. There's three options here. Number one, Derek Carr has no idea, and he just said, LOL, no chance, without verifying anything. Number two, he did make a call, and they're lying to him, which seems incredibly unlikely to me that you're on the verge of making a trade for Darren Waller. Your quarterback, who is the most important piece of your team, called you and asked you about it, and you flat out lied right to his face, and it's about to happen within like a week. Like, you couldn't come up with something to say. Like, I don't know, you know, it's, it's a business. They're calling. We're not really planning on trading them, but like anything else, if they make a big enough offer, we'd have to to entertain it. But so far, nothing is getting done. But he's not going to say LOL, no chance if they said probably not. They told him LOL, no chance, right? So number one, he didn't confirm anything, didn't call anyone. Number two, they're flat out lying to his face. The heck was number three? Is there a number three? I guess number three would be he talked to the Raiders. They said something along the lines of what I said, and he chose to tweet out, LOL, no chance anyways, right? They said, you know, we're we're, we're in talks, but it probably won't happen. But again, I don't think he tweets out, LOL, no chance. He probably just keeps his mouth shut. So again, it's reading a lot into one tweet from LOL, no chance. But again, if you just think it through, I don't see how Derek Carr ends up on Twitter saying there's no chance this happens if there's a chance this happens. None of the options in which both things are true, he says no chance, and we trade for, for Waller, makes sense to me. How do you make it make sense? I mean, the one that makes the most sense is he didn't call anybody, but it just seems so unbelievably unlikely. He's in the NFL. He knows how these things work. He understands that these things do happen. And again, you've got phone numbers. Call somebody, text somebody, and just say, is there anything to this? So again, the, I think the thing that is most likely here is Derek Carr did call somebody, presumably, again, somebody that would know, the GM or the owner, and that person told them, LOL, no chance. And the odds that that person was lying when they said that are very low. So my confidence that there's anything to this report are quite low. Again, that's nothing necessarily against Aaron Nagler. I think everything he's saying is true insofar as all he's reporting is what somebody told him. He's not reporting a thing that's happening. He's reporting somebody told me a thing is happening. And that's a different, that's, there's a difference there. But anyways, I also want to quickly play this other counterpoint, and this is via Mike Florio. And it's not so much that he makes good points, because I don't think he does, but I think it's kind of hilarious, um, because Mike Florio is such an anti-Green Bay Packers guy. He's such an angry... It's actually funny, because if you look at a lot of these guys, I've said before, if you want to be a really, really big media guy, if you want to be on the level of a lot of these guys, you have to kind of be a sociopath, in that you have really no emotion. You have no fear. You have no anything because the amount of abuse, I mean, they put stuff out there, they get abused and they just keep moving. 
it's not even like thick skin. Like, I don't think you can have calluses big enough to deal with the amount of stuff that these guys have to go through. You just have to have something kind of broken in your brain. But Florio isn't that way. Florio is an emotional guy and he can't stop. He can't. And so he ended up on this level, but he's a guy that's like a normal human being that uh, has emotion and he just wears it all on his sleeve. And his hatred for the Packers, his hatred for Packers fans, and his hatred for Packers reporters is so unbelievably evident and he doesn't even try to hide it. And so I thought this was just kind of funny because the guy is just, I mean, he's just such a joke. He can't just report things. He can't, I mean, he, he literally just can't even do his job. Because he's so unbelievably biased, there's nobody in the world that would ever believe a single word he says in regard to the Minnesota Vikings or the Green Bay Packers because he is so unbelievably biased. He can't stop. He cannot let it go. He's so angry. And because he's so angry and because he's so biased, he keeps getting attacked. And because he gets attacked, he gets angry. And then it's just this big old cycle that just keeps snowballing. Aaron Rodgers called him out. All the Packers people have called him out. Aaron Nagler has called him out, I'm sure, numerous times. I'm sure these two have gotten into Twitter fights numerous times. Just assuming. I don't know. But anyways, um, here is the audio, which, again, I just found to be um, pretty humorous. And again, it's unfortunate because Florio is probably going to end up being right on this. But still, it's, it's, it's funny to just hear how angry this guy gets about every. He's such just an angry, ridiculous little troll. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Adidas. 
I saw that Aaron Nagler has a report that the Packers and Raiders have engaged in trade talks regarding tight end Darren Waller with an eye towards a deal getting done during this week's NFL draft. How about that one? Uh, definitely a surprise today. Well, it's a surprise. Look, all due respect to Aaron Nagler, I don't know what he's ever reported in the past. I don't know what kind of track record he has, so I'm going to choose to be skeptical of this one until someone else reports it, frankly. Sorry, you're catching me with a wild hair up my ass tonight, but that's how I feel about that one. So, again, number one, my thought process, he doesn't do this, so obviously this means he has heard something, right? So that that's kind of very basic line there. Um, but again, just, just the, and, and he even called himself out. He's like, listen, you're, you're, you're catching me in kind of a bad mood here. So he's admitting that he's kind of angry and he just flat out is disrespecting, you know, and, and this is the thing. There's so much elitism in all of this. So many of these guys, and this, this is Packers reporters are the exact same way. There's so much elitism. If you, if you are a reporter, if you have a blue check mark, if you work for, um, a, some newspaper or CBS or ESPN or whatever, the amount of arrogance these people have toward, you know, bloggers or people like me or even people like Aaron Nagler, which is weird because he's kind of like in this weird hybrid state where a lot of people look down to him, but then a lot of people look up to him and he kind of has status now, but people still think he doesn't belong and he's kind of in this weird space. And there, there's, there's kind of a lot of that, you know? people who are kind of forcing their way up through channels that a lot of these people think shouldn't happen. You know, you didn't get your master's in journalism and then get a job through a newspaper so you don't belong here with me. You actually had to earn an audience and go out and prove that people care about your opinions before you showed up here rather than just being forced on people. So you don't belong, apparently. But that's all this is, is elitism. He knows for a fact Aaron Nagler has contacts. Yes, he doesn't break news very often. Again, that's kind of half the reason why I believe it. Not believe that it's going to happen, but believe that this is a true report, that somebody did, two people did tell him this. But this, this isn't about him being rational. This is about him being biased and elitist. Aaron Nagler isn't good enough. He hasn't earned the right to break news like me. He's not on my level. Guys like this are so pathetic. And, and it's, it's, they're insecure is what it is, too. People like this hate it. When, you know, bloggers, podcasters, YouTubers, they hate it when these guys have success because they, they know that their job security is wrapped up in the fact that um, their employer says they're good enough. It's not about what, what people like me think is good enough. Again, since Rob Demosky has ever uh, already blocked me, I'm, I can feel free to use him as an example as much as I want. If Rob Demofsky was switched out for some other guy that you've never heard of and wrote Everything that Rob Domofsky says for ESPN, how much would that break your heart? It wouldn't. Who cares who writes the article? According to Rob Domofsky of ESPN, da 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 Nobody cares who, who writes the information. There's nothing he does so eloquently that if, if a new person came in and took that job away from him, I would never be able to read Packers ESPN again. That doesn't even make sense. Now, swap that out for, let's say, a podcaster. We don't have to use me as an example, although we certainly could. Let's take Bukowski. If they just said, you're out, and they put some random other person in that's never done it before, do you think his show would suffer a little bit? Of course it would. He's the one that built the show. What about Tom Grossi? Could, what if they just plucked him off of his own show and just put some other random Packers person in there and said, now you're going to be the, the take over the Tom Grossi Packers show, and we're going to call it the Jim Smith likes the Packers show, but you just get the channel now, and you just do whatever content you think is right. Try to do what... what uh, gra- that wouldn't work. The fact of the matter is, I have a lot more respect 
for people that had to build out and prove their own concept. And Nagler's one of them. He doesn't get to where he is unless he built out and proved his concept. He built a website that people wanted to go to. They created content, video, audio that people wanted to listen to. That's the only reason he is where he is. What did Florio do? He didn't build an audience. He got a job. He got hired to do a job. There was no, there was no poll of people who are sitting, I don't even know, where, where, what is he, what is that, NBC? Yeah, he works for NBC. NBC didn't go out and say, who's the most popular person out there that everybody loves to hear their football opinions? They're looking to hire a guy, and they hired a guy. It's based on their judgment that he's really good at what he does. And again, that doesn't automatically make you bad, but it's just, it's just pathetic because, again, ultimately, they're insecure about this. They know that they didn't win over their, their audience, and I'm sure the inferiority complex is massive with guys like this. Because even people like me have thoughts of, you know, I don't belong here, I shouldn't be doing this. And I built this. Everybody that's here is here 100% because of me. <laughs> and that's not arrogance, that's just very obvious. What else is there but me talking into a microphone? That's it. How could, how could I possibly have imposter syndrome? What am I, an imposter of myself? But Florio? Of course he could have imposter syndrome. In fact, everyone on Twitter tells him he's an imposter and doesn't belong and sucks at his job. So I would imagine he gets that a lot. And so the only form of authority and power that guys like this have is to gatekeep. And anytime somebody that doesn't go through the proper channels comes up with news, he says, you don't belong here. Because if anybody can just walk in and do this job, then he's really, really useless. Right? Again, same thing with the Domofskis out there. What does he have if not for just the access and everything ESPN provides to him? ESPN puts a microphone in his hand and a camera in his face. ESPN gives him a press path. ESPN gives him an audience online. If ESPN goes away, what does Rob have? He's got a nice suit. And if he decides to start a, a, his own new podcast, he's got to get in line. He doesn't shoot to number one, I can promise you that. So it's just so obnoxious listening to this gatekeeping nonsense from people who are just so insecure about their jobs. But anyways, let's continue with this. <laughs> uh, it's fine by me. Uh, we'll take it. What do you think the return would be if Waller, if this report is true and Waller does get traded? I don't know why they would trade Waller back to the Packers after they trade for Devontae Adams. Again, just, just, just let me interject for a second. The question was, let's just play along and say that it's true. What would the compensation be? He can't even entertain it. He refuses to entertain it. Like something will have gone down in the early stages of the offseason program to alienate Waller from the front office. It just makes no sense. If you're looking to move Waller, you make him part of the trade package that brings Devontae Adams to Las Vegas in the first place. I'm just going to choose to be skeptical about this. When there's a lot of stuff going around this time of year, we'll see if there's anything to this. But again, we're talking about a report from somebody who doesn't break a lot of news. I'm just curious to see whether or not there's any truth to it or whether or not the Packers are just trying to create the impression they're trying to do something to address their receiving core at a time when they've done Jack Diddley squat to make it. And now the attack on the Packers begin good as it needs to be for Aaron Rodgers in what could be one of his final couple seasons with the team. Well, so, so this is, again, refuses to, enter, to entertain it because it's not even worth my time to talk about this stupid report. So either Aaron Nagler is just a, a, a stupid liar or the Packers fed this to Aaron Nagler to try to spread this out there to make it seem like they're doing something when they've done nothing because they're a pathetic franchise. By the way, this guy's a freaking Vikings fan. They're such a pathetic franchise, they haven't done anything. Which again, I hate to go down this rabbit hole, but this is what I say to everybody that comes at me with this stuff. We haven't even taken a break yet. Oh my goodness. I just realized we're 40 minutes into this. Who should we have gone and got? 
What should we have done? It doesn't matter who it is. Again, we, we, went out, we went out and got a guy who's just as good as just about anybody else we could have gotten. Uh, on, a, on a dollar per dollar basis, we got probably the best option. Unless you want to drop $20 million on guys that sucked last year, or go out and get Julio, who still can't find a job. And I can tell you why that is. Julio wants big-time money. His last contract was pretty big money. He still was seen as a, as a big guy, and, and now teams are trying to say, listen, you're not the guy you were. We're not paying you a lot of money. You're old. You're broken. You sucked last year. We're not paying you a bunch of money. And he's saying, BS, I want my big-time money. I am Julio freaking Jones. That's why he can't get a job. That's why the Packers didn't bring him in. And again, most fans wouldn't have even wanted him anyways. But find me a guy that's not going to be super expensive that you're going to have to overpay, whether that be with draft capital or, or contract money, cap money, who isn't old, who isn't injury riddled. You can't find them. But here we go with this old trope nonsense about the Packers haven't done anything to help poor Aaron Rodgers. And by the way, he hates Aaron Rodgers. He's just saying all this nonsense to try to bash. The, he's suddenly best friends with Aaron Rodgers and just wants the best for Aaron Rodgers when it's conveniently going to help hurt the Packers. Let's continue with this garbage. I, I read something today that they couldn't trade for Waller in the Adams deal. I don't know if, if you know this or not, because Adams was on a franchise tag and then you couldn't trade for another player unless if he was tagged. That's, that's why they said that Waller wasn't included in that deal or could have been included. Hey, that's news to me. I'd have to research that, but once a player... Oh, really? Is it? <laughs> again, he's just spouting off angrily about stuff, and he, does, he doesn't know it. Now, again, I don't know that it's in there. It maybe isn't in there. It's entirely possible. He does a good job of covering his tracks, as we'll hear. When I thought through, I, I thought it sounded like he actually already researched this, but having listened now a second time, it's very clear that he's, I mean, he flat out said that's news to me. In other words, I've never heard that before. But let's continue and listen to how he tries to cover his tracks player signs his franchise tag he's under contract he can be traded like any other player can be traded so i'm not aware of that nuance it could be in the cba it's like 400 pages long but in 20 years of covering the nfl i've never heard that you can't trade a franchise tag player for an another interjection here in 20 years he's never heard that before okay in 20 years have you ever seen it happen before have you i mean again 20 years you got this massive extensive level of experience by the way, the, the CBA is relatively new, so it's entirely possible that this is a new thing. Probably not, but I'm just saying. Anyways, um, can you think of any time? And that's the other thing. If, if, if this isn't a thing that's true, somebody could have come out with one example. Can anybody come up with one example of when this happened, when a player was franchised and traded on the franchise tag? I know Florio can't another player yeah mike it doesn't make sense to me just because the raiders there's optimism now with going to get Devontae adams you know how to renfro is a nice player had a 1000 yard season uh waller has two years left in the contract does deserve more money unless if this is contractual it doesn't make sense why the raiders would want to trade waller well no it, it doesn't because look a lot of the excitement after they acquired Devontae adams was hey we've got adams we've got waller who are you going to double cover who are you going to focus on Okay, I, I want to pause there because there's some element of truth to that, right? Why would you? You've got a good team now. Um, but him saying, first of all, when he says a lot of the excitement, excitement from who? It, did, did the coaches and the GM come out and say, hey, we're excited because now we've got Waller and now we've got Devontae? Or are you just talking about what the media has been saying? I guarantee you he's just talking about what the fans and the media have been saying. We don't know what the Raiders think. That's number one. Number two, the question of why would you do it? 
if it's true that it was already going to be a part of the package, why would this be surprising? If it's true that this is what they've been willing to do, it would have been worth it to them. It's not that hard to believe that they want their second back. Well, why? You've got a guy that's really, really good already. That's true, but you're not including in the fact that a second-round pick also has value, and a second-round pick could, could net you an offensive lineman, another tight end, another wide receiver. It could possibly help with your defense, which is a major issue for your team. Now that you've got Devontae, we don't need Waller as much, and we can use Waller and turn him in, again, 30 years old, injury-riddled, only got a year or two left, right? We just signed Carr to a long-term contract. We've got Devontae for a long time. We have a long-term vision now. Waller is a short-term vision guy. So the Packers are a short-term vision team because we have a little bit of time with Rodgers. They are now a long-term vision team. We would rather trade in Waller for a second-round pick and use that on youthful talent that can help us either offensively to replenish what we lose in Waller, or defensively to make us a more balanced team with a strong offensive attack and a better defense. It's not that hard to figure out why you would do it. Now, again, I understand why, but then why would anybody trade anybody? Anybody that trades a player for picks, why would anybody ever do that? I'm not going to use the Devontae example because the Packers seemingly didn't want to, but any other time, well, it doesn't make sense. You're, you're worse. That's true if you just completely disregard the part where you got draft capital back. If you just forget about that whole, oh yeah, we get a second round pick back and that has value. I mean, come on, guys. And then you've got Hunter Renfro who runs free if you try to take away both guys. Right, you just answered your own question. You have Devontae and Hunter Renfro. That's why. Even capable of taking away both guys, Renfro is wide open. So it just doesn't make sense to me. And I have to look into this CBA angle. I, I, again, it's one of those things where I can't tell you chapter and verse that it's permissible, but the fact that I've never heard that you can't do it in 20 years of covering the NFL makes me think that, that he could have been part of the Devontae Adams trade. There's got to be another reason for the fact that he wasn't. All right, so that's the end of it. And again, maybe it's not true. I don't know. It's just one guy on The Athletic that said that. However, again, He's not just making it up. He heard it somewhere, and presumably Aaron Nagler also heard it because the people who are talking to him added in that they're trying to get Waller, and he was included in that trade that they could not do because of the CBA. So we've got multiple people from multiple angles saying that this is a real thing. And again, if it wasn't true that this, uh, what is his name, Jeff Howe? Yeah, Jeff Howe. If that wasn't true, one person could have either come with an example of a time that it happened. Again, in 20 years, has it ever happened? Or simply refuted it by saying that's not true. Here, you know, there's nowhere in the CBA that it says that. I haven't seen that, but I'm sure if it's true, I'm, I, here, here's what I know. Mike Florio being the way that he is, and he's a lawyer, so he's going he's gonna to be reading documents. He's, he's good at that stuff. That's what they do. If there's laws and there's rules and all that stuff, the, let, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to find out if Blaine, my half-Mexican lawyer, is awake, and I'm going to say, how are you feeling about reading some documents? And I'm going to see if he's willing to do a little bit of research to find out if this is true or not, because that's what lawyers do. And so I'm going to go to a lawyer and find out if it's true. What I know about Florio is immediately after that interview, he started making calls. He started digging into the CBA. He wanted more than anything on this planet to find out that it wasn't true. Mike Florio posted one hour ago. So he's awake. He is wide awake. He's up. They just reported Nathaniel Hackett. Broncos were fired up to practice with Russell Wilson for the first time. So he's awake. And this was posted at 8 o'clock last night. I don't see anything about the CBA thing being false. Nothing. 
I have a mock draft ready to go. I'm seriously thinking about not posting it this year. What's the point? This is, I'm reading his tweet. There are plenty of other ways to talk about the draft without pretending to know what's going to happen. I'll be honest, I had the exact same thought. That's why I'm doing a what would I do mock, because at least it's somewhat interesting from that standpoint. Trying to do a predictive mock is almost just a complete waste of time this year, because at pick one, you're already wrong. Every single report is, first of all, the the consensus number one is Aiden Hutchinson will be the first pick by the Jaguars, but every single report that you can find out there says it won't be Aiden Hutchinson, it's somebody else, it'll be a shocker. So most people are going to be wrong about the first freaking pick. That's insane, and nobody knows where to go from there. On top of that, there's a ton of, of at least questions, if, if not reports. This is going to have to be a random ad insert day. I apologize for that, because we're just going to keep rolling here. That because of the way things are structured, and this is another reason why I'm really excited about this draft, there's probably going to be a lot of trades. So being able to predict, best of luck to you. And the reason is because there's going to be such vastly different boards. So whereas one team is looking at it saying there's really nobody available that I really like, another team's going to be like, dude, there is a top 10 player that slipped over. Are you seriously trying to trade back right now? Like, I'm not going to argue with you, but I 100% am willing to come up. Yes, I am. There is no consensus on stuff because I don't think there's guys that are just truly 100% proven, which is good and bad. You know, there's nobody that's just a lock. Nobody. I'm I'm literally talking about Aiden Hutchinson. There are reports of people just being like, he's not that good. He's really not. I can read them to you. Would you like to hear them? Let's move off of Florio for a minute. You, we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on Florio and see where, when, you know, I'm sure the second he finds out that it's not true, he'll be posting that. And I know he's been working on it. I'm sure he's, he's almost there. It's 400 pages. I'm sure he's through about 250 of them so far. He'll find it eventually. He'll get there. Or he's wrong and he'll just pretend like he never had that conversation. But either way, we'll have an answer soon enough. Um, the Athletic had a really, uh, really great article by Bruce Feldman, and it was very similar to the um, the series that we're hearing over at Go Long, the uh, Substack by uh, Tyler Dunn. Bob McGinn has been putting together a lot of stuff from insiders, from sources, from scouts, etc. Dane uh, Bruce Feldman, Bruce Feldman, excuse me, did I say Dane Brugler? Bruce Feldman is doing something very similar. He's been talking to a lot of inside guys, uh, mostly coaches, but again, it's it's based on sort of the same thing, but. Just kind of random questions about quarterbacks and this and that and the other thing. Let me just read you what some people have said about Aiden Hutchinson. Again, this is like the one guy that's supposed to be the lock. If there's one guy that's guaranteed to just be elite, it's Aiden Hutchinson. There's really nobody else that we can 100%. I mean, who? Who is name one guy that there are no questions about? There's nobody. There is nobody. Aiden Hutchinson is the only one. Here is what some people have had to say. Defensive coach number one. So again, he's talking to a lot, a lot of coaches, and in this case, they're, he's asking defensive coaches about Aiden Hutchinson. Here was his question. Aiden Hutchinson is atop a bunch of mock drafts going number one overall to Jacksonville. Does that make sense to you? Do you buy him as the top overall prospect? Defensive coach one. I'm not sure he has quite the ceiling of a few of the guys, but his floor is very high. He's the safest guy in the draft. Like, if you take him, I don't think anyone's going to be like, man, we effed this pickup. I just don't think when you watch film, he does have that, like, holy cow, how are we going to block this guy? He just doesn't have that rare trait. He's just a good, talented, high-effort football player. Does that sound like a lock number one overall can't-miss prospect? He's literally telling you it's not. Here's defensive coach number two. I'm the best prospect in this draft, ready? I wouldn't take him there or even in the top four. 
He doesn't have the arm length. I don't see the twitch. I don't think he's got explosiveness where we'd have to take him. There's nothing special about him athletically to go that high. He does have really good change of direction. He's a really good fundamental player. But other than that, his makeup and his fundamentals, there's nothing special about him athletically. I don't see him consistently winning off the edge with his initial move. I don't see him being a 12-15 sack guy. I think his production in college is because he's a really good technician. I'd rather take the athlete over the technician. We're talking about Trayvon Walker at this point, aren't we? I'd rather take the athlete over the technician because we can teach him the technique. I don't think you're going to get much better. This is about the number one. This is what makes this draft so crazy. It's good and it's bad. This is full of super high upside guys, super high upside guys. But there is no guy that has the upside and the production and the technique and all that. Those guys just genuinely do not exist. Here's defensive coach number four. His arm length is very concerning. He looked like a man among boys out there a lot because he's really developed and technically advanced. In the NFL, he's going to be going up against men, and I'm not sure he's going to stand up. I think he'll be a really good player, but not a great one. Do you take a guy with the first overall pick who may never be a double-digit sack guy? You're telling me this is the lock. This is the lock. Okay, then what about Trayvon Walker? Granted, he had garbage production in college, but he's got the athleticism. Maybe he's sort of the lock number one can't-miss prospect. There are some people that are really high on him. Defensive coach number three says that guy's got it all. He's the one you're drooling over. Scout number one says he'll play through you. He's such a violent, explosive guy. He'll steal your lunch money. Here's what defensive coach number one said, though. I do like him. There's no reason to think he can't do all that you hope he can do, but you're making a projection and betting on the traits with this guy. Is he an outside guy on first and second down and then kicks inside on third down? You know what you're getting in Hutchinson and Jermaine Johnson when you see the film. With this guy, you're hoping his best football is ahead of him. I think it is. So kind of, a, I mean, that's, again, we're not talking lock number one. We're talking about, I would bet on him, but you kind of don't know. Here's scout number two. As a, pos- as a possible first or second overall pick, I don't love him that high. For sure, top 10, he's so big, strong, and long, but I don't see rare talent. He could be uh, 290 easily. He put up ridiculous numbers at the combine, but none of that stuff really translates on tape. Even during their pro day, he was the third most athletic defensive line dude behind Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt, and he didn't look as freaky as those other dudes. Is this the, is this the guy? This, this is the can't-miss... Who, who's the can't-miss guy? Here's, here's maybe the, mis- the most um, uncomfortable <laughs> evaluation of anybody. This is the, the one that would make me sick to my stomach, and I don't even know if he's trying to be negative, but it just, it just kills me. Defensive coach number two. They played him as a 3-4 end. That's not his position. I think he's a 4-3 edge-setting defensive end. He'll be, 208, he'll be 280 soon and can really run. That is to say, we're going to fatten him up, put him on the edge, and help make him stop the run. Dude, this is one of the most athletic defensive ends, pass rushers, we've seen in a very long time. And you're telling me, rather than coach him up, we're going to fatten him up and make him a run-stopping defensive end. And maybe he didn't mean it to sound that bad, but I hate that. Okay, well, what about Kayvon Thibodeau? Because some people have said Kayvon Thibodeau is like the guy, right? I mean, he's getting undervalued because of his character concerns or whatever. But as far as pass rusher, this guy's elite. He's like Miles Garrett, ba 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 Is this the guy? Here's what defensive coach number two had to say about Kayvon Thibodeau when asked, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau is one of the most polarizing prospects in the draft. How do you see him? He says, he needs to be in the right system. I'm a fan of the pass rusher. He can roll now. His first step is as good as anyone's. He's twitchy. He's a poor run defender. If a 4-3 team takes him, he's, they're going to wish they can get, uh, they're going to wish he can get bigger. I don't see it. He's a smaller boned dude. Is that, is the, are, are, again, are we talking about the lock number one guy or what, what are we talking about here? 
Here's defensive coach number one. He's a big personality. If you're a team that isn't comfortable with one player pushing himself into the spotlight, he's probably not for you. The issues to me are going to come up with the competing focus. Is he too worried about his brand? When we brought him in, I was like, whoa, crud, this guy is a handful. (laughs) That's my best attempt at, you know. So, I mean, again, who's that guy? Who's the number one overall prospect? Who's the can't-miss guy? The article kind of starts off by talking about how um, Iquanu is probably the best guy in this entire draft class. Now, I've heard a lot of people really hype the guy up, but I've never heard number one overall pick. Now, to be clear, I am, always will be, and will never be anything other than the Jaguars take a tackle or they're stupid. But I'm always that guy. I'm the guy that said the Bengals should take um, an offensive lineman or they're stupid. They didn't. And although it may have killed them in the end, I don't think they get that far if they didn't take Jamar Chase. So they obviously get a pass. Still think kind of stupid. But that's kind of how this thing starts. So I don't know, maybe. But here's a, here is one quote that kind of points to maybe this isn't, again, the best lock in the world. I think it's like this. Coaches love him. The scouts and personnel people don't because of what he looks like. He's really knock-kneed. He has caved-in needs. He's thin-legged. Initially, when I first saw him, I thought, how the F is this guy possibly the first pick? But then when he starts moving, you see that he's crazy athletic. So again, it's not the worst endorsement in the world, but to hear that scouts hate this guy because he's built kind of stupid? Again, are we talking about Miles Garrett here? Are we talking about Chase Young? Are we talking about Nick or Joey Bosa? No, we are not. Are we talking about Trevor Lawrence? We're sitting here with the number one overall pick, like, all right, man, who's the guy? I don't know, man. Hutchinson's kind of low ceiling. Trayvon Walker, low floor. Thibodeau, eh, not really a big football guy. You know, I mean, he's talented, but eh, he's kind of worried about his own brand. Aquanu's talented, but he might be a better guard. And do you want to take a guard number one overall? Plus, he's kind of got a weird build. But, I mean, he's really athletic. He's probably going to be a really good tackle. We'll see. I mean, Penny Sewell was a generational tackle. People talked about him like, we've never seen a guy like that ever. He went seventh because Trevor Lawrence also was like the best we've seen in years and years and years. He went number one. Then you had two more quarterbacks go two and three. Then you had the best tight end we've seen in 20 years go number four. Then we've had the best wide receiver we've seen in, I don't know, five years, six years, 10 years go number five. (laughs) Then you have another wide receiver and Jalen Waddle go six. Then you have a generational tackle go at seven. By the way, Patrick Sertan, one of the better corners we've seen in quite a while, went. Devontae Smith, super elite wide receiver. We're at pick 10, and we have probably better prospects than anybody in this year's class. Maybe not exactly Jalen Waddell, but almost the entire top 10. By the way, Justin Fields, I love making fun of the guy. He's by far better than any quarterback in this draft class. That doesn't mean he's going to have a better career. I'm just saying based on what we saw in college, what he did in college, he's just a better prospect. And I think if Justin Fields, I'll be completely honest, if Justin Fields was in this draft class, Justin Fields would be the first overall pick. He was the 11th pick in last year's draft. Micah Parsons, best linebacker we've seen. I mean, probably not that long. I mean, you've had Roquan and a couple others. But, I mean, come on, this dude is a freak. I mean, Rashawn Slater is probably better than any of the tackles in this class. That's what I've heard a lot of people say. I mean, if you look at Equanu and Evan Neal, they're really, really good, but they're not quite on the Rashawn Slater-Penesul tier. Rashawn Slater went 13 uh, 
Mac Jones went 15. He's a better quarterback than any quarterback in this draft class. After that, you kind of start getting into the, eh, I'm not so sure, but we're at pick 16. We're halfway through the first round. And that again, that isn't to say we don't have really good players in this draft, because if you look at this draft class, you've got guys that easily could have a better career. I mean, we're talking guys that could potentially be Hall of Famers. The problem is there's just so much like, eh, I don't know, he's missing something. Kyle Pitts is missing nothing. Trevor Lawrence is missing nothing. Jamar Chase is missing nothing. Panay Sewell is missing nothing. Patrick Sertan is missing nothing. Devontae Smith is missing nothing. Justin Fields is missing nothing. Micah Parsons is missing nothing. Rashawn Slater is missing nothing. Maybe some of these tackles, you can say they're completely well-rounded. It's just they don't exactly have, you know, the best ceiling we've ever seen of any prospect. But again, Aiden Hutchinson has major concerns. Arm length is a major, maybe it's stupid to you, but it's a major concern. Trayvon Walker was garbage in college. I mean, on my big board, which I have right here, which is based on grades and stats and everything else. Let's go to Edge. Where is Mr. Trayvon Walker? He's ranked 20th. 20th. Well, that's stupid. It means your system is garbage. No, it's just based on very basic things like, you know, how good of a pass rusher are you? How good of a run defender are you? I mean, if a system that takes into account uh, how good a pass rusher is at pass rushing isn't a good system, then I don't really know what a good system would be. Trayvon Walker ranks 39th out of 47 pass rushers in his overall defensive grade. He's 23rd in run defense. He ranks 45th out of 47 as a pass rusher. His pass rush grade is the third lowest out of 47 guys. There are two people in this entire draft out of 47 pass rushers. Two of them have lower pass rush grades. Myron uh, Tungovailoa Amosa out of Notre Dame and Chris Turner out of Missouri are the only two guys with lower pass rush grades. And by the way, Chris Turner played seven games, so it's maybe kind of a smaller sample size. Missed tackles. He ranks, where did it go? 27th. Pressure grade. He's 38th. Sacks. He ranks 27th. Pass rush productivity. He ranks 36th. Win percentage, which is very simply, and this is, this, this is based on one-on-one opportunities. Again, because I'm, I'm using the metrics of um, true pass sets. So it's not like, well, he was double teamed, which, by the way, BS. The guy was never double teamed in his life. He played for Georgia. Do you know how many studs are on that defense? This guy wasn't double teamed. He ranks 45th in win percentage. 45th. His, his win percentage, 13.8%. Alex Wright was nearly 40%. Kingsley Enigbari, 39%. Kayvon Thibodeau, 37%. Aiden Hutchinson, 37%. Um, Arnold Ebicady was 34%. Uh, who else have we got on here? Nick Benito, 32%. I mean, we're, we're halfway through this list and we're still in the 30s. Drake Jackson, 29%. MyJ Sanders, 29%. You got to scroll all the way down here with Trayvon Walker 13% of the time. Th- that's just beating the guy in front of you. That's not a pressure. That's not a sack. Just beat the guy in front of you. 13%. How about run stop? His, his run stop percentage. Uh, he ranked 33rd in run-stopping ability, but he was number one in RAS with a 9.99. That's the only area where he dominates, is, is that. And then, again, this is why it scares me to death to hear <laughs> the only thing he dominates is athleticism, and you've got coaches going, we should just have him pack on, like, 40, 50 pounds and, you know, be a run defender. Like, oh, <laughs> we're going to take that one asset and just take it away from him. 
But again, the benefit of this entire class is you can go first round, second round, probably third round. Fourth. You got guys in here that they're going to end up having elite, elite careers, and everybody's going to look back and go, well, that should have been obvious, except it wasn't. Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, Evan Neal, Akema Kwanu, Trayvon Walker, Ahmad Gardner, Kyle Hamilton, Charles Cross, Garrett Wilson, Derek Stingley. Easily, any of these guys could be elite, and it wouldn't surprise me at all. Jermaine Johnson, easily. Malik Willis, eh, maybe. <laughs> I just, I don't buy it. Drake London, easily. Jordan Davis, easily. Jamison Williams, easily. Chris Olave, Kenny Pickett, eh. Devin Lloyd, George Karloftis, Trent, Trevor Penning, Trent McDuffie, Traylon Burks, Tyler Linderbaum, um, not sure about Andrew Booth, Devontae Wyatt, Kenyon Green, N'Kobe Dean, Zion Johnson, Daxton Hill, Jahar, uh, Jahan Dotson, Kair Alam, David Ajabo. I mean, uh, straight through the first round, easily. Some of these guys are some of the most top tier, but the thing is, they're so top tier in like a couple areas, but then not super great in another. And so again, you don't have... These guys don't check all the boxes, and that's what's scary about them. But man, they they check plus. Every one of these guys check pluses, which is something I just made up. Uh, multiple boxes, right? Jahan Dotson. People gush over Jahan Dotson, which, by the way, I watched him yesterday. It was it was the most boring and annoying thing I've ever seen in my life. Between Penn State running the ball every single down, number one, number two, um, their quarterback is garbage. And of the few times I ever saw Jahan Dotson get targeted, it was way off target. And then number three, Jahan Dotson only ran deep routes, and the quarterback was under duress in about two seconds, so he never had time to even get to that part of his progression. So, um, you know, I don't want to just be a highlights guy, but I watched two games, and I think I saw Jahan Dotson catch one pass. So, um, so far, not the biggest Jahan <laughs> The number three on their team, that guy's super good. Jahan, though, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Did we see who number three is on the on Penn State's football team. Parker Washington. That's a guy to watch for uh, in next year's draft. Another really small, shifty guy. Anyways, point is, though, a lot of people love the guy, but what's the issue? Very obviously, it's his size. So there's, there's, and, and this is what I read with Aiden Hutchinson. This is what I read with Trayvon Walker. This is what I read with a lot of these guys. You have some people gushing. You have other people that can't stand him. And then you've got a lot of people that look at him and say, listen, I see the upside and he could be really, really good, but I'm concerned about this, that, or the other. That's everybody. But that's the good thing about this draft is we can get excited about so many guys because it's not hard to see the Hall of Fame potential in just about anybody we draft. The odds are low, but it's, it's, it's nearly as high for whoever we pick at 22 as it is as guys that pick in the top five. I mean, to be completely honest, it, let's just say we draft Tyler Linderbaum and let's say Trayvon Walker goes number one. Who do you, th- let's say one of those guys is a Hall of Famer or, or Hall of Fame does, it's kind of silly, but let's say which guy wins more Pro Bowls? I don't know who I'm picking, right? Let's say one of these guys is elite and one of these guys is a bust. Who would you pick? It doesn't even have to be Linder, but pick somebody else. Let's say we get Jamison Williams compared to Aiden Hutchinson. Who wins more Pro Bowls? Probably would pick Hutchinson just because of his low floor, but I don't know. What about Kyle Hamilton? What about Derek Stingley? Both of those, those two guys in particular I'm looking at and saying if they can reach their potential, we are talking Hall of Fame. But they also are very high bust probability prospects. So it's a wild draft, man. It really is. I mean, it's, it's wild and it's fun and it's exciting and I can't wait. And again, you're going to find out very quickly who the glass half full and glass half empty people are, because if you're a glass half full person, pretty much anybody we draft, you're going to be excited about because this is just an exciting group of, of people. Zion Johnson is such an awesome prospect. N'Kobe Dean is so awesome. Devontae Wyatt is super elite. Linderbaum is 
one of the better interior offensive linemen. I mean, PFF flat out said he's he's like the best center we've ever graded ever. Might have even been interior offensive lineman. I don't know. Ever since since PFF started grading, they've never seen anybody as good as him. And we're talking about him sliding potentially into the second round. Like, okay, Traylon Burks, right? Obviously, you have your reservations, but his potential is like Debo, but bigger and stronger and better. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> or or you know, AJ Brown, but bigger. G. Jalen Petrie, Logan Hall, Travis Jones, George Pickens, Tyler Smith, Sky Moore, Christian Watson, Trey McBride, Jaquan Brisker, Christian Harris, Perry and Winfrey, DeMarvin Leal, although I don't know if I can get excited about him, Quay Walker, John Mechie, Cam Thomas, Chad Muma, Nick Benito, uh, Drake Jackson, Leo Chanel, Darian Kennard, Tariq Woolen, Calvin Austin, Dylan Parham, Sean Ryan, Kingsley and Igbari, Jamari Salyer, Wandale Robinson, Greg Dulcich, Fedarian Mathis, Jalen Tolbert, Isaiah Likely, MyJ Sanders, Alec Pierce. I'm, I'm well into the third round. I'm still excited. Sam Williams, Channing Tindall, who I have as one of my top linebackers. Marcus Jones out of Houston. I think I just heard somebody talking about him the other day, about how he's like one of the best special teams guys in this entire class. Jeremy Ruckert, Cole Strange, Brian Cook out of Cincinnati, another underrated Cincinnati defensive player. James Cook at running back. Damone Clark at linebacker, Nick Cross at safety, Jelani Woods at tight end, Kate Otten at tight end, Rashid Walker at tackle, Ed Ingram on the interior offensive line, Cam Jurgens, IOL, Darian Beavers linebacker, Luke Gadecki, Max Mitchell. Right? I mean, just on and on and on. There's so many guys to get excited about. I mean, we're, you know, all the way at 135, you got Jake Ferguson, you got Romeo Daubs, or however you say the guy's name. You got Valus Jones at 137. You got Zach Tom still sitting at 138. Might be one of the better offensive line prospects. Alex Wright, 141. Guy's one of the best pass rushers in college football. How much of that translates? I don't know, but the dude is a freak. Bo Melton. Tyquan Thornton is a big fan favorite. Amari Barno, pass rusher. Neil Farrell. I mean, you want a big body run defending defensive tackle? I don't know if you're going to get much better than Neil Farrell out of LSU. Jalen Weidermeyer, I think, is is a little underrated because of his garbage 40 time. Matt Willetsko is a guy we just talked about yesterday. Chigazia Mokonkwo, the tight end. Cole Turner, Grant Calcaterra. Alec Lindstrom, who was a major prospect for a very long time until he kind of fell off. Cade Mays is getting a lot of hype. Eric Ezukanma. People love Eric Ezukanma. We're at pick, we're at overall consensus 194. We're nearly in the 200s. And you've got a Texas Tech wide receiver that a lot of people love. So this draft, more than probably any other draft, is one of those where you're going to have really high second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth round prospects. They're, the hit rate is going to be higher than normal. And potentially a lower hit rate in the first round. But I, it just makes everything exciting because usually it's like, all right, I'm excited about the first round pick. Pretty excited about the second round pick. We know the third round pick's going to suck. Fourth round pick, a little bit of a resurgence chance there. And then fifth, sixth, seventh, who cares? They're probably not going to be very good. In this draft, you're going to be, there's so many traits, guys, that there's going to be a sixth round pick that you're like, eh, it's a sixth round pick, but you're going to look at his RAS. You're going to look at his 40 time. You're going to look at his height and his weight and, or something about the guy, you know, his return ability. There's going to be something about the guy was like, dude, how is he a sixth round pick? Does he just suck at life or what? So many tools, you guys. So anyways, I got to get out of here. I'm just, I'm just ranting at this point because I'm having so much fun talking about this. But again, be on the lookout for that. And again, I'll be planning on posting my one and only mock draft 
the plan was to do a what I think will happen mock. I don't know if I'm going to have time for that, but at the very least, uh, we'll have this one. The what would I do mock should be ready to go today. So anyways, you guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.